Welcome to The Self-Made Theory, the podcast that's all about innovating, overcoming and prospering. We interview founders, entrepreneurs, innovators, CEOs and other exciting people about their amazing business journey. Over to your host, Ben Campbell, for this week's episode. To the self made theory. I have a double guest interview for you this week. Brendan and Connor, who are co founders of Noago, describe themselves as a born in the cloud organization, providing IT services to their customers. They're obviously doing something right, ranking number seven in the Australian CRN Fast 50 Awards. There's lots of gold in here if you're building a business. One of the things that we always hear is about differentiating yourselves from your competition. Well, we talk about that different isn't always better, but better is always different. We talk about if you want to be a good IT services provider, then stop talking about widgets and start getting into your customers' why. We talk about the difference between working for someone and then putting your house, livelihood and family future on the line to start your own company and how to keep your finger on the pulse when your business is growing. My name is Ben Campbell and this is The Self-Made Theory. Connor and Brendan, welcome to The Self-Made Theory. Thanks for having us. Glad to be here. Awesome. So we're in your corporate head office in Eastwood in South Australia, just outside the city CBD. We certainly are. Where the supercar race is on today. We might be able to hear a V8 supercar just because it's just down the road every now and then. I'm a little envious they're out there driving some fast cars at the moment. <laughs> and you're stuck in here recording with me. Uh, Nowhere I'd rather be, Ben. <laughs> well, thank you very much. Uh, so let's start with your elevator pitch. So Nuago is a born-in-the-cloud company, and we specialize in understanding companies and, and why they exist, and then designing technology solutions underneath that. So we start by understanding what is the vision for each one of our customers, and then from there stem out technology solutions, whether that be managed services, uh, professional services, with point solutions, or really consultancy engagement, where we help them write their whole technology strategy or if they just need some procurement needs, we can also supply that for them. So you must be doing something right. You've been recently awarded in the CRN, uh, Channel Reseller News, Fast 50. I think you were at number seven, and that's a national recognition, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. So it's a, a national award. So uh, we were fortunately number seven. Brennan and I got to go up to Sydney and, and uh, collect an award up there. We certainly uh, weren't expecting to come that high in, in the field, but um, number one out of South Australia, which was something we were very proud of being a, a homegrown South Australian business. It's something we certainly put at the forefront of, of our minds. And um, yeah, to come you know in the top seven in the country, we were very humbled by that. So, so obviously doing something right. And obviously that, that mission uh, resonates with customers. You mentioned born in the cloud. What does that mean to you? So what that means is that we don't have anything that's on-premise. So we're a cloud-based company, and actually the name Nuago is a derivative of uh, the French word for cloud. Oh, is that? I was going to ask you where that came yeah. from. Yeah, right. And so we started off this company with no servers on-prem. We And on-prem means on-premise on, in our building. And essentially, we tried to leverage the benefits of cloud and uh, pass that on to our customers. Yeah, okay. So let's talk about the day-to-day -day things that you do as an organization. So really, you're an IT company in, its, in sort of the broader sense. But what are the, some of the services and products that you provide for customers? So I guess it comes down to starting with what the customer needs and what their technology strategy is. So we can speak from anyone 
from the, the technical level in the IT department up to the owner of the company and really what their prerogatives are. So there's some strategic solutions that we offer for people at the, the corporate level, the executive level. And then there's the more tactical, you might say, engagements for uh, the IT teams. So they may have a directive that's driven by a, an overarching strategy and they require a point solution. So we can do that for them. Or they may not have the ability in their team to support part of their environment and we can take that piece away from them. So rather than have to go pay for a security or a networking expert, when you really only need them for half the time, you can use us for those point solutions or those managed services solutions to help them out. I like the way you diverted me away from products there. That's exactly what I wanted you to do because my understanding of what you guys do as a company is really start with that whole understand the why behind the customer's requirements first before sort of getting into the, hey, I've got a widget over here for you to buy from me. And we like widgets. We're all we're all nerds in the closet. We were just but... widgeting here before with some funky headphones that I uh, <laughs> that I've got on my website. Now. I think you said there were bone resonance. That's something new bone, for me. Yeah, yeah. bone conducting uh, headphones, which are great if you're listening to podcasts because they actually don't go in your ear. Uh, they sit on on your cheekbone and send the sounds that way. It's pretty cool. Really yeah. cool. We divert. So, so you talk about starting with why? Why is that important for you? And why do you think that's important for your customers? Look, when we evaluated the market, we're looking around, there was a lot of really, I guess to use the term before, widget-driven uh, technology solutions where uh, we found a lot of our, I guess, competitors in the market that would be finding a great technology solution in its own right and really trying to put that into as many clients as they could, as opposed to starting from the other side around and actually really developing technology that was bespoke to users. So we found that whole principle of the start with why. You know, we're big big uh, proponents of Simon Sinek, I think, when as we first are. met. Yeah. Uh, absolutely. He's a great guy. And, you know, I think we first met in our, in our front boardroom, which is the Sinek room for us. And it's really been at the core of, of what uh, what's really built our philosophy in the business and a lot of what's brought in from uh, our chairman, Mick O'Rourke. Um, he teaches at the Center for Business Growth. I know you've had Jana Matthews on the program before. So um, a big component of what he does there in the sales and marketing piece is centered around that uh, start with why concept. And, you know, he uses the example of the apples of the world of really, you know, people don't buy what you do, they buy why you do it. And so for us, that really resonated with us. And, you know, we said, let's shamelessly steal that concept and go build a business around it. It's such a powerful thing, isn't it? And when you do that well, it really resonates with customers at a whole different level uh, than it does in just flogging some boxes and other things. Absolutely. It shows that you care. It shows that you're not just here to tell them what you do, but get to that emotional center of, of why you do it. And it starts by understanding the customer. And again, why do they get out of bed in the morning? What is the vision that inspires their people? And we also take that to our own staff. We like to understand why are they working here? What is it that inspires them? And uh, we know that you can't motivate people intrinsically, but you can inspire motivated people. Mm, absolutely. So where did it all start for you? Because you're not an overnight success. Um, you've been in business for a while. What's the journey? So the journey goes back. And uh, for the sake of this podcast, I'll, uh, I'll keep this to probably the last few years. So Mick O'Rourke, who, as Connor said, is our chairman, he, uh, he's had some success in business uh, through a couple of iterations of, of big national companies and actually multinational companies. And I approached Mick originally with a, uh, a business plan and said, Mick, I want to start a company. And as soon as I put that plan on his desk, he knew I was serious that it was time. And it piqued his interest as well, because not only was it his, his son saying, hey, look, I want to do this, but it was also the fact that 
I put a lot of effort into it and he had never done a true startup before. So this allowed us to take a lot of these learns from previous experiences and apply this to, to this setting. And as soon as Connor got wind that, that I'd put this down, he was saying, Brennan, let me in. I want to be on board with this. So, so why did, I mean, why did you do that? What, what drove you to start developing a business plan, which is not an easy thing to do for many people. I think it was the intrinsic knowing that the capability was there and that the gap in the market was there, that there was an underserviced element of the market that really had uh, had been neglected, you might say, that it was a templated sort of solution base that was designed for maybe the East Coast as opposed to Adelaide. And we said the prototypical or the stereotypical, if that's the right word, customer for uh, for Adelaide is of a certain size. They're not the big companies you get in Melbourne and, and in Sydney. And we can bring a lot of our enterprise experience uh, from the companies that do focus on those and bring those to the Adelaide client. And so that was really behind a lot of the, the market strategy was Adelaide is its own beast and we need to treat it as such. It's a really common heard message, I think. Uh, I've recently had uh, Kelly from Expose Data on the, on the call, and she talked a lot about the big four firms and how they you know, develop products, etc. You know, they, they try and push into the Adelaide market that just don't resonate with customers. And having been an East Coast, you know, I lived in the East Coast for ten years and saw what happened in the integrated market over there, and came back to Adelaide, and you could just see that you just need to do things differently. Yeah. But not everybody wants to hear that. And that's not an easy fit for big companies. And their strategy. Yeah, that's right. It's a one-size-fits-all. And again, Adelaide, we're a proud state, and we want to be treated as such. Yeah. And so, you, I mean, you both have sort of worked in sort of the integrator, the big inner-town integrator space in the past. Yep. So this would have been a big jump out of that space into running your own shop? Certainly. I think this has been nothing but surprises along the way, largely pleasant ones, certainly some some challenging ones along the way. Uh, I know for one, I, I underestimated the effort required to really make one of these uh, work. And it's really, I think, the most uh, important piece around that is how you understand and motivate people or create an environment. As Brendan mentioned before, you can't motivate people, but how do you lead with passion so that motivated people will get behind you and, and really go and evangelize you know, the business that we, we built from the ground up. And they're the ones that will make the success or, or failure of the organization um, is by employing smart people who are motivated and really getting out of their way and asking them what they need. Um, I know that was one of the biggest uh, biggest realizations for me along this what, a little bit over two and a half year journey that, that we've been on. So how did you come to that realization? What happened along the way? Was there an incident? Was there a you know, growing? You know, was, did something happen along the way that actually you, know, you woke up and went, yeah, I've got this wrong. I need to do it differently. Yeah, you know, I, I I had gone through a few different positions in, in the former organization that I was in, and uh, it seemed more to me that I was going through the paces as opposed to uh, living a life by design. And I wanted more of that. Uh, and, and when Brennan came along with the idea for this, I went, how perfect does that sound? And I wouldn't leave him alone until he said, yep, I'll let you in on this thing. So <laughs> I think there was, there was some real realizations, I guess, from a realistic standpoint, because we've never... Sh- struggled, I guess, uh, from a financial standpoint with my family growing up, but we've never had to go at it from the ground up. We've always had a supportive family that was financially sound, uh, stable, but then having to start a new business, we had to invest a lot of our personal equity into getting this going. And so it put a lot of stakes at hand that we had never had to experience before, where all of a sudden our houses and our you know, our families were in jeopardy. And so that really raised the stakes to a new level that we had never experienced before. 
And then having to realize that not everyone's just going to follow you to give you orders, not to mention that we had a restraint in place for six months from our previous employer. Um, and we had to really go out and find customers and, and, and tell them our message because people don't oftentimes when they're, it's an important part of their business, they don't want to give it to an untested entity, you know, because yeah, what we even do. If, even if you've got, you know, history and credibility from working in another organization, and we all know organizations are built on people. Yeah. So that should translate, but there is still that perceived risk. Absolutely. And I guess there is a certain level of um, credibility you gain uh, in the market through time and attrition. But that wasn't there for the the onset because it's a very complex beast what we do. And uh, to uh, have a successfully running company, you need to have good processes in place and the people to run them. And so for a company that started off with four guys sitting around a space heater, that doesn't fill everyone with a sense of confidence. So we had to put forward a vision uh, that people would would like and, and, and be attracted to and believe in what we can become. And you'd obviously built that and developed that vision based on what you'd seen in the market yes. previously, what customers had no doubt told you previously. That was really your market intel, I imagine. Mm, yep. Mm. You know, we affectionately say around here that uh, that horizontal is the new vertical. You know, really ICT for the longest time was uh, the last to know in business decisions. And, uh, you know, we, we take a lot of pride in the solutions that we deliver as an organization. And we're quite uh, rich in the, the business now, so I think, that we have at a board level. And we said, well, how do we harness that business understanding and translate that into technology? Because we're often hearing that, you know, there's this two ends of the scale where the execs are out there on the golf course uh, playing golf all day and the perception of the IT manager. And the exec thinks that the IT manager is sitting there turning knobs and in the back of a server with a screwdriver. So so how do we really kind of bring that closer together and get people working uh, more cohesively? And so that's been really at the at the core of our business. And I think really that, you know, led to the launch of our advisory and consulting business about a, a year into the operation. So Yeah, which is a really, I think it's a really interesting place to start with the customer, isn't it? Because it gives you, and gives them an opportunity really to think really quite deeply often around what it is they're trying to achieve rather than just, oh, I need a, you know, I need to take my business to the cloud. What does that actually mean and why are you doing that and what sits behind that? And Ben, we're really fortunate in that all of our directors, we started with a really wide director base and all of our guys have what, a good- Wide how? How do you mean wide? So we had four directors off the onset. So oftentimes you'll find that tech companies are started by one individual and uh, then they grow up uh, through time, word of mouth oftentimes. Uh, but we had four directors off the onset because we knew that this was a platform, a, a wide foundation for how we wanted to build the company up from then on. And we had more facility than what we needed. So we really put the chips in to start the game. And the four directors, uh, obviously, I know a couple of you, are very different in terms of you know, skill sets. Across the four, is that the same across the four? Yeah, most definitely. So, you know, one of the things I heard once was uh, innovation comes from putting a whole bunch of different perspectives in the room and allowing, you know, robust conversation to ensue. And so if you look at the, I guess, the the initial four directors in the organization, Brendan is a master of project management and being able to uh, find the big rocks, the most important things, and essentially uh, put down the critical path for us. Uh, ben Schofield, our managed services director, he's a master of the craft in that regard and really wanted to look at a different way to deliver services to our clients with the advent of things like software as a service, being able to consume it today and turn it off tomorrow. We wanted to make a service that was congruent with that as well, as opposed to the traditional three to five year lock-in contract, hit you with a variation. It didn't seem to us to really be that message around, we want to be an extension of your organization as opposed to, you know, this is where the hard line is in terms of what we will and will not do for companies. 
Craig Howarth has got uh, some 20 years as a an engineer and had moved into solution architecture and had a great understanding for, for business as well. So he really helped be able to translate some highly complex solutions into business speak that, that our clients could understand. And my background has largely been in the sales and marketing side of things. So I was able to bring that element to the company. And then the final director is Dave Brown. And so he came on board, as Connor said, about a year after the fact, and he heads up our advisory and consulting area. And he has a technical background, but also has studied business. And I guess moving on from that, the uh, the thing that all of our guys understand, which is a good point of difference for us in the market, is that we understand that golden triangle to that next level. And that's that people, process, and technology. And I guess getting to the core of the problems and the opportunities that customers face so we can really tease out those those key requirements, not just take things at face value and not question them. We actually question those things and say, okay, is this key? Is this really what your requirements are? And is this solution, this money that you're spending, is this going to fix your problem? Just focusing on the process piece for a minute, because we've talked about that um, before off mic, and you're going through ISO certification, is that right? That's right. Most people do that for the ability to bid on government contracts. Yep, I'm ISO certified, so therefore I can bid on a government contract. That's not the reason you're doing it. We're not excluded from having that. I mean, we certainly uh, are opportunistic with some of the opportunities that we go for, but that's not the sole reason that we're going for that at all. So this is more of a hygiene process for us. So both the ISO 9001 and ISO 27001 are helping us have a best practice uh, that's in line with our industry, and that's for the, the 27,001. And then for our values. And so one of our key values is Kaizen quality, where we improve every day. And so having the ISO 9001 make sure that we have the right structure in place to produce a good outcome for our clients and then also scale the business properly. So talk about Kaizen quality because not everybody understands what that is. Kaizen is a Japanese philosophy of continuous improvement. And uh, it came about through... Probably, uh, I think the 50s post-war era, uh, where William Deming came through and, and helped them reshape the way that they did business. And uh, there's actually something called the Deming Award in in Japan, which is uh, associated to quality. And basically, the way that we embrace that in our company is that we look to get better every day. So we realize that processes that you have in place, they're not always there. You oftentimes have more that can be done. And pretty much we see them as, as always having a work in progress element to them. I've always liked uh, how it's been conceptualized by, by one of the thinkers I heard one time. If it's not broke, fix it anyway. <laughs> yeah, make it better. Yeah, yeah. It's and it's a really you know it's a really interesting point, isn't it? Because if it's not broke, it's probably good enough. But good enough isn't great. Yeah. And good enough isn't going to drive you to be you know, to greatness that that's you can right. actually achieve. And that's the difference that will set you apart from others. And Ben, I think we were at a seminar together uh, some weeks ago, and there was a quote there that said, "Different isn't always better, but, but better, better is always different. different." Yeah, I remember and that one. That, that really resonated with me mm. because you can be different, but it might not be a point of value for the client. So we try to be better and different where different it's is a better. Fantastic! It's a fantastic quote. I yeah. think. Yeah, and something yeah. I think we can all think about because yeah. everybody's. Looking looking for their point of differentiation. What's my point of differentiation? Why are you different from the competitor? What sets you apart? Maybe just being better than them. That might be enough. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, brilliant. So let's talk about the people piece because you know, obviously the technology piece we've covered, the process piece we've covered. I know you have a big focus on people in your organization. Is there a philosophy that sits behind that? So from a people standpoint internally, 100%, your people make you better, right? And, and 
we really focus on getting the right people because you can have people elements that can really work against um, a larger group of people than just a one-to-one kind of ratio. It's a kind of a multiplier effect when you get the wrong people on board. But when you get the right people on board, they can again have that um, whole is greater than the sum of its part effect. And so we've got some great people in, in-house, in some guys that are really go-getters, that have a lot of initiative, that want to be great and do great things and so we've spent a lot of time getting those people on board. And it's an interesting point, right? Because a lot of organizations will be challenged by the recruitment process in terms of time. And they'll get to the short list and they'll get down to the last one or two and none of them are really right, but they've got to choose someone because, hey, if I don't have a bum on a seat, I'm not going to make sales or it's going to cost me this or whatever, not realizing the cost that comes when you hire the wrong person. Have you ever taken a long time to hire the right person for the wrong? Oh, definitely. Again, if you look at the elements of management, one of them that gets neglected sometimes is the staffing element. And we try to keep our finger on the pulse always and go to our immediate network of people that we trust that are already working for us that know somebody that's good. And you know, it's word of mouth, Adelaide, good networks are, are king here. So having people that are trusted brands are, are really key. And then having kind of a multi-factor sort of vetting process is also good too, where you can look at someone through social media and who their connections are and get an unbiased look sometimes at those individuals. Obviously, as long as you're respecting the fact that they have a current employer and you're not throwing them in the soup if they don't get the job. Yeah, absolutely. Have you ever hired the wrong person? I don't think we have. I think we've only, in our in our whole time, I think we've had uh, two people leave the organization and they're both uh, clients of ours and friends of ours still to this day. And we couldn't be happier for them. Um, it was open dialogue always that they were going to move towards uh, positions of IT management or CIO. And um, we're really thankful that our family grows outside of these four walls as well, because you know one of the things that we've always believed in is your customer largely reflects your culture. Uh, and you start to gravitate towards like-minded businesses and those sorts of things as well. So one of the key things that I might add about the hiring process as well is number one thing we hire for is, is passion. People wanting to join the organization to get behind the vision. And number two is really intelligence. You can teach an intelligent person anything, so uh, but you can't teach a person to be passionate. So that comes you first teach dumb. <laughs> I, I, worked with a, I worked with a guy once that said, Ben, you just can't teach dumb. I went, well, it's not probably the way I'd put it, but I understand the message that sits behind the statement. <laughs> and, and, and look, I guess on that people side of things, you know, we, we run really hard here. So I think that's one of those things that can get missed until you're actually on the ground doing the work. Our guys work long hours sometimes for us, and we're forever thankful to them for that. And we do reward them for that. But uh, there are sacrifices in our industry sometimes, and it means that... It, if you're planning on working just a nine to five job, this might not be the right environment for you. It's actually a pretty extraordinary statistic when you say we've not hired the wrong person and those that have left have gone with our blessing because we always knew that's what they were planning to do anyway in terms of their their own personal growth. You clearly are doing something right because I have yet to meet a technology company uh, that has that level of engagement with their, with their people. So well done. That's a big thing. Yeah, thank you for that. So outside of hiring the right people and recognizing from when they do great work, what else do you do around the people and culture piece that you think contributes to that success? Sorry, Connor. If if I can just uh, quickly on the people side of the golden triangle, I guess um, with our customers, we know that it's not just about technology solutions. It's oftentimes about um, people maybe not using the technology the right way. 
So sometimes there's an education piece there that's that's needed. And, and we don't look at just um, that technology piece. We look at what's the process and the people behind that. So, so that golden triangle thing is yeah. both an internal uh, triangle that you, you know, that you look and measure, and but it's also an external piece. Absolutely. Uh, part of the whole thing is the drinking your own champagne concept. So we don't want to say, hey, here's this shiny solution that uh, is all great and everything but we don't use it. Good luck. We want to be able to say, hey, we use this here in our environment. Yeah. This is a, a bona fide tested solution. Yeah, okay. Yeah, good. And you know, what we often saw was, uh, we always liked that quote where, you know, the cobbler's kids are never shown. And uh, we saw a lot of that around town uh, where people were promoting high-end technology solutions, but weren't necessarily, as Brennan said, drinking their own champagne in that regard. So that was something when we first sat down and shook hands on this thing in March of 2016, we agreed that, no, we're going to first adopt the technology that we want to go out there and promote in the market because what that also enabled was our people to be able to speak to their experience with those technologies as well, as opposed to going in and having a, a transactional discussion. They could move more down the probably transformational path, and that's really what we're about here. Mm. It, uh, look, I think it's it's interesting when you go and talk to a customer because they're often looking for references, and so they'll you know they'll point to other customers, which is important because that obviously adds some credibility. But I think it's the, I think it's understated in how important it is for you to understand the technology firsthand yourself because then you're going to get not only because you're not embedded inside of your customer you're not going to know necessarily all the little things that may or may not work inside of their organization but as soon as you're doing it inside your own organization bingo you understand that solution to the nth degree yeah there's no substitute for experience mm, absolutely yeah Mm, yeah, very good. You know, it's moving so quickly now in the in the tech game, right? That probably when we got our start in tech, it was really, oh, let me, as a salesperson, it was, let me grab my solution architect, my subject matter expert, uh, a senior leader from the company, so that we can cover all questions that may come up. And that's really expected now of the business development managers. So they need to be able to go far enough into business understanding, but also straddle enough tech so that in really that first meeting, they can advance the discussion with the client to a point where we can rapidly add value as opposed to, I'll come back on the next meeting when I can get this person in creates a really long extended sales cycle and often that uh, you know law of diminishing intent sort of kicks in. So we're talking about the people piece. So what else are you doing inside of the people and culture piece that you think contributes to your success? Sure. I think we, we don't really look at people and culture necessarily as its own division. It's layered into everything that we do here. We like to say that Nuago is a meritocracy. There's no closed offices here. Brendan, our managing director, doesn't have his own office. There's no reserved car parks for anybody. You get here first, you get the, the park the closest to the door. Or you know, as our chairman, he probably tries to park three blocks away so he gets a little bit of extra exercise. You'll see coming up here in a few hours, being a Friday, we'll we'll crack open some some beverages for the team. Um, you know, we're fortunate to have some great clients which also supply us with some some wonderful beverages <laughs> at times. But we also have a social committee because at the end of the day, we wanted to hire like-minded people. You saw probably the table tennis table and I was always, you know, the whole startup mentality often want to have that. I know that was on my wish list. And once we got up and going, we put that in and it's, you know, every lunchtime or after work, you'll see folks out there having to hit a table tennis or going out on, uh, we have a car club. A lot of the, the, the folks in the business enjoy their, their rev heads. So um, once every few months, we'll go for a cruise together on the weekends. Um, once a quarter, uh, we have a, a team building exercise that, that we run with the team. And we've got a Grand Prix coming up soon around some some go-karting and in line with the, uh, the Superloop 500 being on at the moment. And really, we have quite an open dialogue here. It's it's really an open door policy where, you know, Brennan does a, a fantastic job of running the company meeting every month. And that's not a one to many. That's a, it's an open discussion for everybody. And there's always, a, you know, 15 to 30 minutes at the end of that all hands meeting to really table some issues and allow the group to get together without, you know, their laptops in their hands and actually just have a good, open, honest dialogue about how do we go from here? 
You know, one of the things that we've always believed, and I think Toby Pierce might have might have touched on this in your podcast with him, which I really liked, was around you know the Apple mentality. I think Steve Jobs said said that uh, you know we hire smart people so they can tell us what to do. We don't hire people so we can tell them what to do. So that's really rung true and been quite a quintessential part of our success, in my opinion. What haven't you got right along the way? I mean, every company along the way screws up something, right? And it could be everything, cash flow, people, whatever it is, right? There's lots of different things. Yeah, for those that are listening, it's not all rainbows and unicorns. What, you know, when you look back on your journey, what have you experienced that you wish you'd done differently? There have been rakes all throughout the journey. 100%. And I, when you do these things, there's no manual, no how-to guide. There's a lot of risk and there's certain elements of risk that you don't see coming sometimes. Um, and those can be for anything, including amount of cash that you need to be successful. I guess in our industry, there's a long sales cycle traditionally with any deal. And we underestimated that coming out of the gates. Fortunately, we had a foundation client that really believed in us and our message and enabled us to grow. But without that, uh, it could have been a, a much rockier start. So I guess you have that. You do have uh, people's interpersonal lives that uh, are a consideration always, and uh, you need to factor that in, into play. Make sure that uh, you continue to keep tabs on where everyone's at in their personal lives. And I think we do an, a good job at that naturally, but uh, when you run hard, sometimes that people element can be missed. So it's, I guess, growing your processes and knowing that as you get bigger, and I guess the biggest challenge that we're facing right now is that when you're a small organization, you can have your finger on every pulse. As you get bigger, you've got to really delegate that responsibility and trust your, your leaders underneath to really carry the torch there. And so being able to step away and delegate and, and trust that your processes are going to take hold are really what you need to rely on as you grow into that medium-sized company. So you mentioned when you started, it's a big thing to you know, put your house on the line to start a new business and you know, stick in your personal cash, etc. When things aren't going well, how do you stay true to the message, knowing what's at risk, without becoming desperate for any piece of business anywhere? It's a great question. I think I can probably only speak for myself personally, but it's uh, it, what are you putting into your brain? You know, that we always we're big proponents here of Stephen Covey, the seven habits of highly effective people. And each staff member that joins the business has the option to go through that program. Mick O'Rourke um, runs that program over a period of six weeks. He does uh, the last two habits in the final week. But that's really so that we can give people the life skills that, that they need to be happy, successful, to thrive. And so we try to turn back to those in our times of need is really uh, turn to each other. Don't turn against each other. And so we're a very supportive family here. I think a lot of people band that term around in terms of being a, you know, a family style business. But that's one thing we hear all the time. And I don't mean that in terms of Brennan and I holding the same last name. It's more that uh, we look out for each other like we would like a true family. So it's really important. I mean, what are you reading? What podcasts are you listening to, Ben? Um, these sort of things are certainly helpful for me. Um, I'm a big fan of the Tony Robbinses of the world and uh, the Robin Sharmas and some of the great thinkers of our time. Shortcut success where you can because success leaves clues. I guess I've, I've spent a lot of time around the, the project management side of things. So mine are a bit more tailored to that and improving business. But I guess what Connor said before, there was a, a thing about putting ideas into place. And someone said to me at a CEO session that I was at recently, they said to me that ideas are cheap, but putting them into action is where the real value's at. And I don't want to discredit ideas because that's the start of everything. That is the seed that makes things great. But uh, as we get older, we, we realize that ideas without action are just words. Exactly. And you need to be able to put them into place and, and drive them and have the structure behind them. So going back to your previous question about what each one of us provide, it's a real diverse set of 
best skills. Uh, you know, Connor's very uh, good at speaking to people and understanding and listening what's going on for an individual. I'm I'm more of a structure based person, and I can take some of these ideas that some of the group have and, and help lay out, I guess, the outline and the framework for how we put that into place. So having a diverse, complementary set of skills is really important for a company, and I guess driving those ideas. So I think recognizing that difference is really important because most people who work inside of an organization expect their leader to be good at everything. Good leaders are good at everything, aren't they? And they're great people people and they're great strategists and they're great implementers and they're very organized. And, you know, so people often look up in an organization and think, well, that leader's not very good because they're not very good at this. And what often organizations don't do is play to people's strengths and hire for strength. And so clearly in terms of your organization, you've got people with clear strengths that you obviously leverage and use those strengths and recognize that that's their strength. And that's thanks for recognizing that, Ben. And, and really, we also very often in these company meetings, we recognize when people are living by our value set. So we recognize the strengths in each other. And we also recognize the character that each individual is portraying. If someone's going above and beyond or they're doing something exemplary, uh, within the company, we like to make sure that they're well known and recognized for doing that. That's good. One of the ones we uh, we often like to talk about around here with the whole teamwork side of thing is the sense of goose. I'm not sure if you've heard that one before, but uh, certainly one that we love around here where, you know, the, the flying V of, of geese when they're in their migratory pattern, the, the goose at the front is taking the most of the brunt of, of cutting through the air and uh, will often get tired and drop away from the flock. And two at the back will drop down and bring that one back up and keep them in formation. So it's so one of the things we do a lot around here is um, we're big fans of, uh, you know, examples and analogies because um, they help you very quickly remember something if you tell them in a story. So as opposed to being too wordy with certain things, uh, there are a lot of those elements uh, around the business that we continuously uh, try to remind ourselves of because what we found often was, you know, values were just something you walked past in the morning that are written on the wall. And uh, we wanted to make sure that they were something that everybody embodies day in, day out. And they say the fish rots from the head down. So um, no pressure on Brendo, but he does a great job uh, around exemplifying that for everybody here. I mean, it's an interesting statement. Values is something you walk past, but that is actually part of your values. The things that you walk past inside of your organization, the behaviors let go, the poor service here let go, that's your culture, right? Exactly right. There's a former chief of the Australian Defense Force says, uh, the standards you walk by are the standards that you accept. So we reiterate that that message oftentimes throughout the company so that it drives a sense of initiative. So you don't just, something needs to be broken or it needs to be fixed rather. You don't just leave it by the wayside. You bring it to someone's attention or you fix it yourself. Yeah, absolutely. So what excites you about the future? Oh, really? I think the unknown. Uh, we live in such a, a, an interesting space in this tech space that we're in at the moment. And really, each year that we go through is about taking a different lens. We do a lot of time off-site uh, as the board, really doing a lot of planning around what do we see coming in the market and evaluating a lot of things and moving and changing around us. As you'd be abundantly aware, Ben, the, the, the merger and acquisitions are thick and fast in the technology space. So, you know, we try to not align ourselves too hard to any one specific vendor or technology, but really keep our ear to the ground, listen to our clients, uh, listen to the great people inside of our four walls, because you know, we always say our great idea was to start in Nuago, but the great ideas are going to really come from the people inside our business and hopefully the pressure our clients put on us to become better, stronger, faster. Yeah, we're excited about what other elements of the market we can get into and get involved with. 
you know, we're an SA company right now, but we don't know what tomorrow holds. So it's been a, a fast journey. We've gone from four or five people to many times that now, and we're excited about where the future holds. So we've got multiple paths that it can go down and we'll continue to discuss and see what makes sense for the company. But it, it is definitely the tech sector is always evolving. So you got to stay sharp. You never know what's going to happen in five years and what's going to be the latest trend. So you just got to keep your finger on the pulse and try and be ready for it. Hell, five years ago, I mean, the landscape today compared to five years ago is just extraordinary. And then you go five years before that, and it's completely different. So I agree with you. I'm pretty excited about what the future holds. I think it's it'll be really interesting to see where we are in five years' time. And those that will be successful in that time have exactly that focus like you do. Be open, be clear about what it is that you do and don't do, but be ready to set the opportunities and ideas. So yeah, pretty exciting times. And there is that balance between being agile and being process driven and finding that cord where you can be agile to adapt to these changes, but still have the right processes so that your quality doesn't lapse in the process of embracing those changes. So how do you manage that? Because many companies will fail at that and pretty spectacularly. Obviously you're aware of it, but how are you managing that to make sure that you don't become a process-driven quasi-government department versus a organization that just flips with every, you know, every new technology wind change? So I'm going to go back to what Connor said before about the seven habits, and one of them is being proactive. So we're very proactive about monitoring the trends and making sure we're not the last to know. So we want to be at the forefront of where these things are at and being able to adapt. So if we can get in, we can see these trends, we can plan for them then we can make sure that we can still maintain some agility and then structure our processes to embrace that change. So, I mean, there's no substitute for hard work, as they say, and having that relentless, I guess, uh, pursuit of greatness is is what drives that. And so we, we don't spend a whole lot of time uh, away from this office, you might say. And so we have a lot of times as a, as a management team talking about the issues and the risks and threats. So we definitely monitor these things in a structured fashion and talk about them often to make sure that uh, they don't, I guess, uh, hit us by surprise. Connor is the sales guy, sorry, director of sales. But as the, as the sales guy in the room, are you challenged by that? Do you go, because sales guys are often, often, often onto the next shiny new toy. Hey, look at this shiny widget over here. Oh, look at this cool thing that we could do. Oh, look at, you know, X, Y, Z that uh, customers are asking for now. How do you balance that? Yeah, I think that's a really good question. I think, you know, salespeople can often be perceived as magpies, you know, next shiny thing and they're, they're always off to the next element. We hire very slowly, as we spoke about previously, trying to get the right candidates. And it can be one of the hardest crafts to uh, really hire into. And I, I use the word craft because often I don't think people view sales as a profession. And uh, one of the things we spoke about off mic previously was, you know, business development manager is the title that we give to, to our salespeople in this organization. And really, I think often people think that business development manager, there's a connotation in their mind that this person coming out is just trying to grow their business as opposed to listen to me as the customer and help me grow mine. So we've developed over the last five to 10 years, uh, what we call the sales excellence pillar. And there's really 12 criteria that we've developed around that of truly treating sales as a profession and actually going out and helping organizations develop their businesses further. So whilst salespeople can often be perceived as you know quite uh, magpie-like in nature, um, we like to think that our folks have the ability to really straddle far enough into the technical sphere, but far enough into the business that they see the value in setting down frameworks and having a plan to go execute against. So everybody in our organization operates from a scorecard. 
directors included, Brennan included. And that really, everybody's then playing from the same playing field for the most part. I see it a lot in technology companies. I get engaged a lot in technology companies to help them drive the right sales organization inside their business. Why are you getting it right? Oh, I think that's very kind of you to say that we're getting it right. I think it's always a work in progress. And I think we're getting it right at the moment because we have the right mix. I think, you know, one of the analogies that I like to use is that whole, uh, I come from a bit of a journalism background, and they used to drop off, you know, five people in a war zone to, to cut the latest footage. And it would be, you know, someone on the mics, uh, there'd be someone shooting the, the footage, there'd be the talent in front of the camera, and there'd be probably somebody doing some editing. And these days, we like to use the analogy, that's really one person getting dropped off with their laptop with a point and shoot camera, a lapel mic, they're the talent, and they're uploading it and cutting it and sending it off that night for the latest news. So it's certainly been a challenge to find the right individuals. And I think in terms of the roles that we do hire for in, in the business, it's uh, one of the more challenging ones to find the right individuals. But we've really taken more of an academy focus here. So the 12 pillars I spoke about previously, uh, we meet on a quarterly basis. So uh, each of my my sales team will come uh, and have given themselves a rank out of 10 against each of those 12 elements. Uh, Brennan and I will also have conferred about uh, what we've been able to see because we're big fans of getting in the car and going and seeing clients. But number one thing we like to do is go out there and tell the story. And, and really hear the vision and, and passion that, that our clients want to achieve for their own organizations. What that means then is we're able to come out with a professional development plan for the folks and really go, okay, well, here's three areas for improvement potentially out of the 12 that we can then over the three, six, nine month period structure an actual enablement plan for them. So uh, just two or three weeks ago, we had a gentleman who's an ex-acting coach here from NIDA around executive presence. And how do you carry yourself and, and tell stories with impact, but also seek to understand the audience that you have in front of you so that you can put it in uh, the appropriate context for them and they can receive it. Uh, someone once told me communication is the definition of the response that you get. And so we, we try to always keep that at the forefront of our mind. So hopefully that answers your question. I think it's uh, miles ahead of what many organizations are doing, certainly from what I've seen around the trap. So well done. The 12 pillars, do they differ on role? Or are there some common pillars? So if I'm a sales guy, you know, are my 12 pillars you know, that you're measuring me against different from the 12 pillars of the guy who's running the service desk to the guy who's... So the, the pillars are more uh, associated to the sales group specifically. Uh, there certainly are metrics and KPIs in each of the departments. However, we, we felt that uh, from a sales standpoint, there was no real uh, specific criterion to go, how am I performing other than the numbers? And that's what most organizations focus on. You made your number? Great. You're a hero. You didn't make your number? Great. You're terrible right we'll put a professional development plan in place but there's no there's nothing else other than that and it's not wow you did 125 percent, but you left a complete train wreck inside of your organization of customers that weren't happy or you've upset every engineer along the way that's helped you, you know, so so it's an important piece yeah and i'm glad you said that ben because sales is a pejorative term in, in a lot of companies minds and we're not about snake oil here and i guess it's uh our industry is not absolved from having people that will do the wrong thing to get a sale so it's about bringing that ethics back into play and in ensuring that we survey our clients to make sure that what we said we, you were going to get is what you actually got hmm. Yeah, no, it's a, it's a really important piece. And I guess to, to there is some congruency, certainly. So not all those 12 elements are certainly across the whole business. But if we look at the philosophy, for instance, behind our managed services division, there's SLAs and contracts, of course, around uh, what we do deliver to our clients. But moreover, it's about what are they saying and what was the experience like for them? Because you can be nailing the SLAs and have green ticks across the board, but Maryover and Accounts had a terrible experience. So for us, it's about, first of all, what did they say? And if you look at our website, you'll see a, a lot of testimonies 
testimonials on there. And that's the thing we take most pride in is really what are the clients saying about us and what do our staff say about the place that they work in? It doesn't get any more powerful a metric than those two things, I don't think. Mm. Well, well done, guys. It's uh, I've really enjoyed our conversation. It's really exciting to see somebody in the technology space really focusing on a lot of the softer skills is not the right word for it. There needs there needs to be a better word, but there's the things outside of the core technology and the core numbers because I think that's the piece that really drives the difference. And I think that's the piece that really drives amazing success. I think it doesn't really matter what business you're in, Ben. It's all about people at the end of the day. You know, technology is what we do. As we mentioned before, it's all about why you're getting out of bed in the morning and trying to have a you know common objective that everybody can move towards and hopefully have some fun along the way. Good stuff. Well, thank you very much for joining us on The Self-Made Theory. Thanks, Ben. Cheers. Appreciate it. just tell from the conversation and the passion in their voices how much providing a great experience for their customers and for their employees means to them. I think it's really easy for leaders to focus on other things from time to time and even focusing too much on what you need. But I guarantee that if you look after your team and you look after your customers, it will return you great dividends. If you want to find out more about Nuago or want to know how to connect with them, then check out my website www.theselfmadetheory.com. I've also got a number of great books available on there which tie very nicely into the themes in this episode if you're enjoying the podcast it would be immensely helpful if you could drop a rating even if it's just a rating and not a full-on review on apple podcasts or your favorite podcast app it helps people get connected with the great stories we have here on building great companies until next time keep innovating overcoming and prospering